out there um, who thinks the protests. Um, I personally haven't had a chance. I didn't go out last night, but I am in touch with a lot of people who were and some of our other members who went. So, um, in Chicago, that is. And we also have some members in Austin, Texas, who are currently out there right now. There's demonstrations happening in Austin, I know. So, I have not been able to hear if there's anything else happening in Chicago at this point. If anyone's familiar, last night, um, what was that, Saturday, May 30th, um, all afternoon and then into the evening, things escalated. Uh, over a thousand people were arrested in downtown Chicago. So, and uh, much of that happened, I don't think, from what I'm able to find out, I think some of them are still in jail. They're probably being released, you know, probably throughout the morning and afternoon today. Um, if I, based on how I know how protests, uh, arrests, mass arrests tend to go, they'll, when they get flooded like that, last time I was arrested, you know, they, um, at the NATO protest in Chicago in 2011, you know, they scoop up a bunch of people to make a special room to get all these protesters to get arrested at once. And it's too much for the station, typically, with their with their normal um, operations. So, you know, they put everybody together, try to process them fast and, um, you know, stagger releasing them throughout the night, you know, throw them out two in the morning like they did me. Or they'll probably, since they have thousands, that's... Um, that's a lot for all the, for a number of police stations. So there's people who are doing, you know, some organizations I know that are doing, uh, that just do stuff like this, like, uh, legal support, like the NLG, the National Lawyers Guild to support, um, people arrested for civil disobedience, uh, in court, manage their case. And, um, you know, then there's groups that just do, um, jail support where they're there when you come out to help you deal with things. Um, it's not everybody plans to get arrested. Some people get arrested by accident. It's traumatizing. Um, you know, so, and that's, that, that is important. That helps get, keep people involved to help me get them, keep involved and meet people when I got out. Um, so anyway, I know that is happening across the different, um, police stations in the city right now. Um, so a lot of people, so what happened was a, in Chicago, at least they kettled the protesters, which is a common practice, get them all caught, block off certain streets, try to corral them in one area. So they don't go to certain areas and, you know, got to keep that rich property, you know, protected. And, um, but they coordinated for all the CTA trains to be shut down. So you can't go in and out of downtown on any of the trains. You can't take the buses, so they, they stop the bus routes all evening, um, and it's still happening today to make sure people don't go back and demonstrate again downtown. Um, they And then they blocked off a lot of roads. They, lift the, they lifted the bridges along the Chicago River downtown so that you can't cross the river, which is a major way to get off of you know places like Wacker Drive and such, um, when they were on the Magnificent Mile, so um, the big shopping district in uh, downtown Chicago. So, you know, thousands of people were stuck. Um, and even if they wanted to leave, they said, okay, about half. So at about 8.30 last night, they announced, the mayor announced that there's a curfew uh, in half an hour at nine o'clock. So all these protesters who were there and saying, okay, well, we'll stay as long as we can stay, basically, you know, um, they don't get warning until they, all the roads are blocked off. Like I said, trains not going by then. And then they get the announcement that, all right, in half an hour, you'll have to be gone or your ass is breaking extra laws because we put a curfew in. So then 
people couldn't leave. I heard of people, they just tried to walk. They walked and some of them got scooped up because they couldn't get transportation. They couldn't get an Uber. Their cars couldn't leave because the bridges were, were you know, industri- the industrial bridges were, were pulled up. Um, and, uh, yeah, sounds like a mess. I still don't have good information on what exactly happened inside to all those people. But a lot of them got arrested. So, um, yeah, they destroyed a lot of stuff, set some cop cars on fire. And um, like is happening around the country now. It's um, I don't think anything like this has been seen since uh, since probably since Martin Luther King was assassinated. As far as coordinated riots at the same time across the whole country. What do you think, William? All right. In, in general... I'm looking a lot more at um at smaller stories because I think the whole thing is going to um it's going to show what I keep riffing about when I say it's um militarized capitalism because it's like oh they they corner these uh pigs here the a uh, police station mysteriously burned down there I don't know how that would happen maybe an electrical fire ironically happened and um but they are you talking will... about in Minneapolis or yes. Or yeah. when I see him, oh, and <clears throat> and Phoenix Kalita is um my notifications going off, sending me more videos of what not going on. But um, it, that's why uh when I was uh we we were corresponding with messages earlier, and um I I was looking up this 1807 act because it says uh Trumple Stiltskin is planning on um issuing that. And then I was um, looking back when um, other presidents issued it, and it's been mostly um, racist and class is what I've found so far. My notes are extensive, and I haven't really broken them down to the finer points yet. But yeah, yeah. if it's um, they're mostly race and class for why the military is deployed upon the, the citizenry. And well, that time that it was very important to integrate schools, that's a whole other topic, but that was um, another time that that, um, that act was used. The um, in- yeah. Insurrection Act of 1807. You got some great moves, Todd. You dance like a white man, and I love it. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I had this conversation with somebody a day or two ago about Minneapolis when it was basically just Minneapolis um, a few days ago. And the rest of the country hadn't really exploded yet. And somebody asked if they think this will, you know, is this because I, you know, I referenced that some of the photos coming out of this looks like straight up revolution in some ways. Um yeah, and I, I didn't mean that to, I didn't put a lot of analysis in that, but more just the aesthetics, um, which is, you know, pretty just face value. Um, and, but somebody asked, you know, well, do you think this is revolutionary and, or do you think this is just going to help Trump's police state? And, you know, the thing about that is this police state was happening anyway. So I wouldn't put it, I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but I think this is an important topic um, that, you know, this, this has been building so heavily ever since 9-11. And we use the excuse of like, you know, the Bush administration used 9-11 as an excuse for the Patriot Act. Um, saying it's for terrorists, it's not. It's for, um, you know, it's just for increased, uh, you know, access to private information on the internet and wiretapping and all that stuff. It's been used by police forces and, you know, federal agencies since then. 
Obama, you know, exacerbated it. I'm trying to remember the Security Act. What's the name of it that he passed before he was out of office? It was his second term. Um, did he, I can't um, remember the name of it, but it was for the NSA to expand the NSA powers um, on surveillance. All right, looking it up now. Right, I, I can't remember exactly what year. But this was after, um, you know, the Occupy movement, which he basically ignored. And, um, you know, and, and everybody ignored that, you know, and that's the thing, you know, you had people like from Occupy who were screaming about it, but they, they were, were a small minority of people who kind of fizzled out their movement fast after, you know, after maybe 2012. So, you know, you heard maybe some libertarians, you know, complaining about it and small groups of fringe leftists, but we've just let these things, we've let this country deteriorate in so many ways. And then we get surprised that it's in our face and you know, so when there's finally an uprising, you know, it's not the uprising like this that makes a police state. They've been funding this. Local municipalities, you know, the city of Chicago, something like 40% of their budget is spent on this police stuff. They're training their gear, making them into a military operation with tanks. I mean, we didn't need a, a nationwide series of riots for that to happen. That, that started happening under Obama. I mean, at least during the Obama years federally. And, you know, and it's happening in liberal cities with liberal mayors like Chicago, you know, historically completely run by the Democratic machine. Um, you know, and now Trump, you know, he slid in some with the coronavirus emergency measures. He slid in this um, a further uh, martial law type clause into one of the bills that was it basically says that you can indefinitely hold people, not charge them, and all these things that, you know, blatantly go against the Constitution. Not that I really, I don't put much value on the Constitution. It's always been twisted how it's used, of course, but it's, but it, it was very a blatant move with the coronavirus as an excuse, right? So we always use crises as an excuse to do what people in power have always wanted to expedite. And every time we have a crisis, it's a great reason to slide things through because we think we'll, we, we can blame a foreign enemy. That's why Trump talks about the virus as, you know, the foreign enemy, the Chinese virus, things like that. It's, you know, it's there is a big reason for that, that it has to do with racism. But there's more layers in terms of being able to find a foreign enemy that you can pin our own problems on so that the so that people in the United States don't stand up against the establishment. But they prepared for this. They put before these riots, they armed the police like the military. And, you know, I, I think it's it's just they knew it's a matter of time, the conditions they set up. They knew they've been looting this country. Just opening up um, different outlets with the information on it. Uh, one of them uh, just taking a look here at an article by um, Kate Tomorello from January 12th, 2017. Um, with mere days left before President-elect Trump takes the White House, President Barack Obama's administration just finalized rules to make it easier for the nation's intelligence agencies to share unfiltered information about innocent people. Uh, new rules issued by the Obama administration in Executive Order 12333 will let the National Security Administration, which collects information under the authority with little oversight, transparency, or even for privacy, 
They share raw streams of communications. It intercepts directly with agencies, including the FBI, the DEA, and the Department of Homeland Security, according to a report today by the New York Times. And uh, that is, I'll, I'll go ahead and link this when I post this episode. It's um, F.org, E-F-F dot org. And I'll uh, link that article by Kate Tamarello. Yeah, that sounds like the act I was talking about with the NSA. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's the main thing I wanted to break down was what is happening and what's the discourse around all these fast moving events right now that we can, what can we discern out of it as things are happening? Um, that's mostly where I'm at. Um, and of course we can talk about all the historical things that lead up to this. Um, by the way, today is the, um, 99th anniversary of the Tulsa race massacre. So, you know, 99 years later, we've, uh, you know, very, very little has changed. Um, and, you know, I think, and for anyone unfamiliar, that was, I believe they did refer to it as Black Wall Street at the time. I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't know all the details in, in and out of this, uh, of this, historical event right now so i don't want to give any false facts but i mean hundreds of people were killed at least um and it was bombed by coordinated members of police and um and you know white vigilantes and uh just because they were they were thriving in tulsa they had this they had this uh this area of town that they built and they just bombed them went through the streets dragged people killed them it was huge and they they still don't know the numbers of how many people how many black people were murdered so you know we could go into so so much history that's the problem you know americans are so ahistorical they don't want to look at history um they're very anti-intellectual that's our education system our culture everything um and you know part of racism is is ignoring and pretending that all these things um aren't the rational backbone for what's happening right now um but, you know, I think a lot of people want to look at this as, okay, we know all that history, but there's no excuse for looting, there's no excuse for violence, there's no excuse for what they're doing. And they can't even remember five years ago when everybody shut down and fired people like Colin Kaepernick, who tried to do it peacefully. They, they can't even look back five years ago to remember this straight. So, you know, I, I don't know what to say when people are surprised when no one, you know, nobody listens for so long and people keep repeating the same thing and things get worse. And, you know, the context you gave, William, about the state people are in with the coronavirus or not, just the extreme amounts of poverty um, that's been put on the black community that's completely robbed them in their communities. People want to act like, you know, of course it is about police brutality, but I don't think if it was, if it wasn't a state of total disenfranchisement, I'm not sure it would happen like this, and I'm not sure people can ever understand it unless they understand, unless they take a look at the total, the total devastation of black life in America right now. So I, and that's where the real polarization is happening. There's people who just won't get it, but you know, at least they're, at least they're listening now. They never listen. They're listening now. You can bet that. Yeah. And and even though, um, there are some actors that aren't acting in full good faith 
as far yeah. as like, you know, folks that are doing what we're doing, um, talking, riffing. Um, there is more talk about the Black Miss Leadership class, more than just like three podcasters and a blog. Like there's a lot more voices saying that. I even had a little tacky joke. You know, I, I post my little jokes in between serious posts because it helps keep uh, traffic up. And I wanted to make a joke about Stacey Abrams being a, an incompetent member of the Black Miss Leadership class because these yeah. people are going to get trotted out to call for peace, call for handshakes, right? Like when um, I think the brother's name was Botham. They got murdered by the um, the cop in his apartment and folks yeah. came out. We got to hug the yeah the black judge wants to hug the cop you know and it's like oh that's that's that coon shit so yeah watch out for that black misleadership class of coons and don't think they don't have a class consciousness they very much do have a class consciousness we're just not members of that class and that's where their interests lie and that's why they go on cnn and say that bullshit and why you'll see melissa harris perry say that do bullshit segments like she did on Edward Snowden or the apology that she does to the Mitt Romney family and these clowns on CNN that put you up there to make you think oh black girl magic sister girl power the power those are not comrades <laughs> those are rich niggas with rich nigga interests that doesn't include your hood and you know I mean have you I know that there's representatives that have been speaking on this on mainstream media so far but honestly, I've seen less of that black misleadership class. And maybe it's because things are happening fast and they haven't had time to coordinate. But, I mean, they got Cornell West on to talk about how the Democrats and the Republicans have created this terrible system together that has failed people so miserably. I mean, that they Cornell West has been... Um, ostracized from most of the mainstream media ever since NPR kicked him off for criticizing Obama, you know, um, when Obama was president. So, I mean, they had Cornel West on. I'm trying to think of one of the typical, like, CNN pundits who he was speaking really, like, I was surprised. I mean, I can't remember his name right now. Um, Terry, Terry something, a brother who usually speaks on, like, like CNN, sometimes they invite him on. Anyway, um, but he was very, he wasn't making excuses about any of the looting or things like that. It was, he was honest about what was going on and why it was happening. But um, anyway, so maybe it's just going to be a matter of time before the, the you know, the, the smoke settles and, the you know, the wagons start turning around to kind of get the, um, the liberal media's condemnation to come out and the black misleadership class to steer things with their narrative, but... I don't know. I've heard a lot of silence and from where there's usually people kind of controlling the narrative. And I think it's, I mean, these mostly young black folks and other protesters, I mean, the protests I've seen have all been very multiracial. So, you know, not exclusively black, but these young folks, I think they broke, it's like they broke through the, the kind of premeditated, okay, approved protests that, you know, Black Lives Matter has been kind of wrapped up in since 2014, 2015. You've got some big leaders who are nonprofit, you know, directors in a lot of cases that coordinate the marches. It's very, you know, you show up at this time and you leave at this time and we do the same thing and we have our hashtag, but 
these kids, they just, they barrel right through that and said, nope, we're doing however we're going to do this because it's not working. It's, I mean, so I don't know. I think they just, they broke past the barrier of what was the approved narrative and how things were going to go. And I, I don't blame them for that at all, you know, um, even though, you know, and it's not just them, but I guess from what I'm seeing, I think it would take away the agency of some of those kids because when some people say things like, oh, it's all provocateurs or it's all agents and it's really complicated or it's just these white anarchists. It's like, I don't, I, I wouldn't give white anarchists that much power. They're, they're not that organized. They're not that special. <laughs> they're not that great. <laughs> some of them might be involved, but that's, they don't leave stuff like this, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, there's certainly provocateurs. That's a problem. But, you know, I, I, I've been saying this the last couple of days since Minneapolis, since the police station burned down. We do know that it looks, from what I've been able to see, there was a cop from St. What is it? St. Paul? Um, well, from the Twin Cities, um, that was an undercover cop who went in and he put on a, you know, a mask and all this stuff. And he was the one, and his ex, his ex-wife uh, confirmed his identity um, from all the photos and videos of him smashing an auto zone when the first property de property destruction was starting. So I don't doubt at all that there's police infiltrators and provocateurs doing stuff and trying to get people in and instigating things to, to do damage. But what I say is like, they only get power out of that based on the power we're willing to give that based on our judgment and our shame for destroying property because we think property is more important than human lives. And if that wasn't a fact, this wouldn't be happening. Police provocateurs wouldn't be going in to smash property to discredit people. If we are, if we weren't willing to, and I'm saying we in terms of a nation, if we were not willing as a population to discredit people based on property damage rather than murdering people in the streets, then this wouldn't be a problem. Provocateurs wouldn't be doing that because they know it wouldn't be able to trigger people. People would have more humanity than that. People would be like those business owners. There's a business owner from Minneapolis from, it's called the Mahal, um, the Gandhi Mahal, who an Indian business owner whose business got burned down. From what I hear, it wasn't intentionally targeted. A lot of these places they are not targeted, but you know, one block gets set on fire and then the whole place kind of ends up going up. And so some people tried to stop it because it was a small, you know, um, business owned by people of color. But so the, the statement from the from the business owner was, you know, I'm sad to see what happened. But to my restaurant, thanks for those who tried to kind of put it out. But, you know, we're going to rebuild. And this is not more important than George Floyd being shot in the street. I mean, not shot, but uh, murdered in the street. And we'll rebuild and we have solidarity with our community. So, you know, thanks for the support, but it's not more important than why this, the reason for this happened. We're not going to, you know, he said, we're not going to condemn what's happening to businesses like ours more than the reason for why it happened. So, you know, people think it's monolithic, like, oh man, all these business owners must be, you know, hurting. Yeah. But you know what? The system hurts and people, there, there are people out there who know that. There's people out there who get that and they will fight, you know? So why do we still value, why do we still put judgments and value on property being destroyed instead of lives? Well, because the only value of the lives is to uh, go to work and make the property. Exactly. 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 
Exactly, nigga. Now, um, you make me think of uh, several things, my goodness, like uh, flipping back to the um, the Black Miss Leadership class. <clears throat> you mentioned in Cornell West. You remind me, like, whenever I hear him um, talking on a program like Democracy Now! or something, and he's talking about marginalized folks, and you kind of, you know, you're on a riff running down the list. He always says precious trans when he's talking about transgender folks because he's that kind of social justice warrior. And, uh, and yeah. another side of black misleadership is not as mainstream because it's not partisan. And it's these nonpartisan, nonpartisan black conservatives. Uh, Chelsea, you hang around enough Negroes to know about the hoteps. A lot of them tend to be hotep adjacent. And mm-hmm. something that they regularly run around, a lie that they have been telling uh, since Trumpelstiltskin was the president-elect, was that Cornell West and Tavis Smiley didn't say anything about Donald Trump, and all they do is talk about Obama for eight years. It's like, they talk about Trump plenty. They just don't like that they talk about Obama at all. And that's another side. That's the conservative side of black misleadership. And also, you said something. You said um, the power that we give things. And right when you said the power that we give things, I was typing up what you're talking about, and I clicked on good old Snopes. And this is published and not updated since the 29th, and right now it's the 31st at almost 4 p.m. And they're saying it's unproven if that cop with the pink mask was the one busting up windows when we have that cop's ex-wife saying, yeah, that's that's homeboy. So, yeah. <laughs> the power you give things. A post that I've made repeatedly in social media since I learned how to use it that gets little to no traction is how easy would it be for Snopes to lie to you? And folks do not like answering that question. And, you know, when things get hot like this, like historical moments like this i when when has the united states been honest about what's happening when have they especially when their power is threatened when have they been honest it's not like we don't know that police infiltrators happen it happens in every fucking movement it happens over and over it happened in occupy i didn't even know that there were two fbi infiltrators around me at one point until they snatched up five um young white anarchists who didn't know what they were doing and they were easy to entrap on terrorism charges, you know? And it's like, we, we know this happens all the time. So, you know what? If you want to put an article out that it turns out that was false, you know, it's important to check into things, you know, as a community. Because sometimes things go like wildfire on social media and misinformation does get out there. But, you know, there's a reason why that's happening. And that's kind of the mess we're in is I don't blame people because people aren't getting the truth from the media. They are going to try to find it any way they can through their community. And that's how social media works. So, you know, if we know at some point some of them are provocateurs. If it wasn't him, it's somebody else. We know, we know how the government works. <laughs> we know how the cops work. You know, it's funny. People make so many excuses for the Democrats in situations like this. You know, they say, oh, you know, when Obama was in office, he had his hands tied with, you know, the Republicans. And it's like, who tied his hands to put bankers on his staff the second he got, you know, in office? Who forced his hand to, you know, his first, I believe his first four years, he had a, he had a Democrat majority in Congress. What, what forced his hand, when you had a majority, what forced 
Obama to pass through all of the, the banking looting that happened after the 2008 um, banking and mortgage crisis? What forced him to just give handouts to the banks that with no obligation for them to use that money to the people they cheated in the housing market, who lost the millions of people who lost their homes? Like, oh, nobody tied his hands on that. And like they make so many excuses when Democrats have the power and then they're like surprised when Trump comes in and does exactly what he said he was going to do. Like that's exactly how any Democrat could have done things, the way Trump is doing his thing, you know? That he it's a great lesson in how, you know, you come in with a mandate like Obama had a mandate when he got elected that he cheated on. You know, they, Trump comes in and says he's going to do this bullshit with the wall and he doesn't no matter how dumb it is and how badly it's going. Yeah, you know I mean, you know, and it's not even I don't even know if it's going to get completed, you know, but but you see, he said he's going to do that and he works his base because he he values his base. I mean, the Democrats, they, they have no, no value for it. And, you know, it's why, they, you know, it's why they lost in 2016 and they're still dumb about it now in 2020. So, you know, on that topic, I just read an article. It, it came out in March begin like mid-March, right when the coronavirus was heating up. So, you know, the, the United States was still kind of ignorant and been watching China for the month, for the month before that, kind of say, hmm, oh, those Chinese got a problem there, huh? And right before it boomed to the United States, way worse. Um, they did, The New York Times put out an article about uh, it vaguely titled something along the lines of um, Russia... Russia is instigating racial unrest in the United States um, in order to tamper with the 2020 election. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what in the hell? Where they try to say that with 2016 with Hillary? And like, this is 2020. Maybe it wasn't written, you know, this month with the, with, you know, with the riots happening. But what out of touch white liberal wrote this shit? And two of them, two, <laughs> two authors actually wrote it. And, um, I mean, it was just, it's like, you know, the Russians are instigating, um, white supremacists and trying to stir up all this stuff to get white supremacists active. And it's like, when has America needed Russia to make racism happen? Are you stupid? Well, they're not stupid. They're calculated. You know, thank God most poor folks can't afford that. Uh, there's to get through their, their paywall and they don't have to read it anymore. So, you know, whatever. But, um, I've, Oh, wait, you, you didn't like, have you it? met 2020? Jeez. Oh, you, you weren't able to read it because of the paywall? No, I got through it. Um, you know, if anyone's hasn't done this yet, you, if you have private mode on your device, you just copy and paste the article you can't read because of the paywall and copy and paste it into private browsing mode in your browser, internet browser. And, um, it won't be able to track if you've, you know, you yourself on your device has logged, has, um, tried to read articles before. So you can get past the limit or the paywall that they have for free. Um, and, uh, get the article, but it's not worth doing it within New York times, honestly, anyway, but, um, but no, I mean, what a mess. And that's that's what I'm saying about when they pass these terrible laws that creates that creates a, you know, a police state and martial law like we're seeing now. That's literally happening 
ironically, in the most liberal cities across the nation, Denver, Seattle, at least that I know of, all, all, all instituted um, sudden curfews last night because of the protests. And um, where you can't go out from like 8 or 9 p.m. until the morning. And if not more, and they're going to do it again tonight. And it's still, you still can't go downtown Chicago now, um, where all the wealth is concentrated. Um, so, but that's what I'm talking about when it comes to terms with passing laws like these, like these uh, security laws that, that take your private information and things like that, that makes it really easy to crack down on movements. When you're doing something, when we actually start doing something radical and, and threatening to the system like what we're seeing just happen now, that's when this stuff really comes into play. You know, they do it with the excuse of a foreign enemy. And that's why the New York Times says, oh, it's, you know, Russia's doing this. You know, for one, it comes from the Cold War, this history of, um, of, um, of red baiting and things like that um, in order to stop communists and stuff. It's Even though Russia's not communist anymore, there's still a power that is different from ours and outside of our system to an extent. So we still have the same history of, of attacking Russia like this. Um, but we're also doing it because it means that the political establishment, Democrats, the liberal media elite like the New York Times, none of them have to take any kind of ownership for racism in happening in the United States because of what they've let deteriorate here. They don't have to take ownership for any of that in the election if they can blame it on Russia. But We'll see how that goes. <laughs> so far, 2020 has shown that's not, I don't think that's going to fly very well. Now, from the looks of things, now I, I understand that, like, you yourself, as a woman, you understand that there's nothing more intelligent, original, and just literary genius of one man than two men with Julian E. Barnes and Adam Goldman which it took two men to make this article, so we know it's serious. This article has standout lines like this. Quote, Some American officials believe that Russia is trying to undermine American democracy and the nation's standing in the world by driving debate to the extremes... Now, I don't know if you knew this, but apparently all those guys on 4chan that make up things like Nambla are Russian, because I think that would be an extreme. Yeah, and you know, they, they're not using any facts. Those are all opinion statements, and that's why people don't understand when they make fun of things like Fox News because of how ridiculous they sound, you know, at least to liberal-minded people. They, they're missing the fact that that's happened to their own media over the last 20 years, roughly. I mean, you know, at least, you know, from what I can tell since the Bush administration, liberals have gone very far, maybe since the Clinton administration, too. Um, I'd say Democrats haven't been the same since post-Reagan. They really started collaborating with big money, at least in the Democratic Party, big money started coming in in the 80s. But what I'm saying is, like, they don't, they don't realize that the same opinion-based, non-factual arguments are being used in all of their media, too, now. Like CNN, MSNBC, Notorious, um, and New York Times. Like that statement you read, William, it said, U.S. officials, I believe, said that they believe 
That's not a fact. Some U.S. officials that you're not giving a name to is not a fact. And they believe, they can believe whatever they want. That's not, that's not a statement of serious research. I mean, even if they did have a name or even if it was anonymous, but they could point to some kind of um, link to a report that was released or something, but they're not doing that. It's just, oh, some people believe and we have sources in the intelligence. Like that's not, you can't just say you have a source in the intelligence that says vaguely this or that. that, that those are all opinion statements and Americans don't even, I mean, I would say it's because Americans are uneducated and they're stuck in the propaganda maybe. They don't have anything else. Sure, but at a certain point you have to take responsibility for the fact that we've let this happen and there are so many people who are okay with that being their news. It's not, that's, that's not real journalism. Yeah. And are we going to be okay with that or not? That's the question. Who's okay with that? I mean, it's, you know, it's, I don't think that certainly the right wing isn't doing better, but I don't think it is irrational or a joke that Trump calls things the fake media. And I don't think, you know, sometimes I, I think this is a problem I have also with liberals on the left is they'll throw around fascism when, because they try to make Trump to be something extra and different, right? And that's kind of like what you were talking about with the, you know, the Hotep folks who talk about, who attack Cornell West because they make up these kind of imaginary things about Obama that he never was, right? He never did anything progressive. He, he did things that hurt marginalized communities, including the black community, especially. So through his policies. So, I mean, we have all of these, yeah, we, we have all of these, all of a sudden we, we, we get this kind of mirage about Trump in a way where he's just a very blatant system of everything. He's not an exception to, to America or our rules. That's what I'm saying. So when people say fascism is here all of a sudden, it's like none of this just appeared. This, this is part of our system. This is the system, but we've been masking it by talking politely with Democrats, but this is their system too. So, you know, when people say, oh, this is fascist or what Trump did is fascist and he's going after the media because the media, because it's a fascist thing to do to attack the media. Yes, that is that there is a bullet point list of typical things in a fascist system that happened. We know that, uh, you know, controlling a free media is one, but we didn't have a free media. We did not have a free media before Trump came in. We had things like the New York Times making lies like this last election, too. And so... When you have Trump criticizing the media and saying something like, oh, you know, it's the fake news, he's saying that because his base also doesn't get anything out of the liberal elite media. I'm not saying they're right, but I'm mad that the left isn't taking action on this, but the right is in their own way. Does that make any sense? Yes. And um, I think we may we may have riffed on it before that, um, like you said, the um, we're not taking action, but the right is. And again, because... I guess, yeah, I guess def definitely could say the the actual left and the sort of partisan faux left are the reactionaries. We're reacting to everything. You've probably seen the video that made the rounds from Twitter over to the Facebook with the um uh like twelve year old, thirteen year old kids 
that have on apparently tactical gear in their size and holding big straps. And it's like, well, who put them out there? That's definitely going to be the political, ideologically, and sociological right that did that. And that was their proactive decision to raise their kids like that and put yeah. them out there so that they could teach their kids, these are the intimidation tactics. This is how we handle these niggers in these situations. And then you look back at the old lynching photos. They have their children there just the same. This is how we handle these situations. This is how we take care of our nigger problems. And um, and then what do we do? We turn around and scramble and try to react. <laughs> the left needs to get proactive. We've been reacting for going on to four decades now. It's not working. And I think this, you know, this moment with the, the riots here are, I mean, it shows how unprepared the left is. Because this is, you know, people are like, oh, there's anarchists out there doing this. And Trump says they're left extremists. And like, you're giving that these folks way too much credit in terms of who these folks are. These are upset, mostly younger people who have had enough. And most of them aren't organized. I mean, because the left hasn't had the capacity. They've been screwing around. They've been trying to get nonprofits created to build their careers out of the protest. They've been trying to become, you know, operatives on CNN, be the official, you know, misleadership class, you know, um, spokespeople for movements when they're not even living in those neighborhoods that started the rebellions. They, I mean, I, I could go on and on. And you've got, you know, you've got white folks that want to be the, the classic, um, kind of intercommunal peace police. You know, we've been talking about groups like Surge, S-U-R-J, you know, I hope maybe they could get more radical back in 2015 when I came around them. But if anyone's unfamiliar, they stand for, um, what is it? Um, standing up for racial justice. And so it's white people in solidarity with Black Lives Matter, but they only listen to a couple organizations that are very, the approved um, kind of, organizations that really benefited from the Black Lives Matter movement when the pressure died down and the protests and the angst kind of got capitalized on from from just some individuals. You know, we could bring up names, but, you know, that's not the point. What I'm saying is there's a, there's a process going on here that is breaking down, and this is not the same with this protest now. It's not the same as 2015. The response is not the same, and people can't control it. Like, I don't hear the people... I hear some people coming out and be like, oh, well, we got to not get too dangerous here. It's like you can't control these, these kids who have nothing going for them now. Like they and you think that you can, you, our organizing has failed on the left. It's, it's not worked. And then, you know, I even heard people try to say, you know, people are passing around stuff for like what to do at a protest and like how to get, um, you know, tear gas and stuff out of your eyes. And if you get mace, what do you do? How do you? You know, who do you call if you get arrested? But don't get arrested. And it's like telling people what to do. And they think it, it's because it makes them sound smart because they've been to a million protests, done nothing except yelled at cops, you know, this whole time. But they put these lists out that are being shared by activists, you know. And one of the things that I was like, that, this is total bullshit that I, you know, posted through my own media um, was you can't tell, you know, they say don't get arrested unless you have a plan. You have people to bail you out. You took time off work. You've spoken to an organization. And so you can't tell people, a thousand, over a thousand people got arrested in Chicago last night. And most of them were not part of these goofy organizations. 
No, Len, you can't tell them not to get arrested. They're going to get arrested, and it's going to be spontaneous if they feel that and they're wrapped up in it. And and even if they can't control it, sometimes you get scooped up just because you're there. You know, and I'm, I'm just like, who has the gall to think that they can control this kind of stuff? But we haven't done the work to do any of that. We haven't been serious. We've been messing around in the sandbox, you know, and of resistance. And the right is showing up with armed kids in uniforms because they stockpile guns and arsenals and uniforms and batons and stuff that they can get and buy in their basements. And they wait for these days. Like, this is their dream. And I don't doubt that they're in there, even besides the police, I don't doubt that they're in there screwing things up to try to incite violence either. And we know that that's, you know, it's probably happening with white nationalists. But, you know, there was a guy with, who brought his, his bow, his hunting bow with arrows that could kill someone, and he tried to shoot it while screaming All Lives Matter, like, from his truck, and some people tackled him before he could shoot that arrow and kill somebody. In Detroit, two nights ago, I think, someone, uh, I don't know the race of the young man. They just said it was like a 19-year-old kid. They kept him anonymous. And they said during the protests and the riots that began that a great truck passed by and started shooting into the crowd out the window and then and shot this kid who died at the hospital. And it's like, you and, they're, and they said, oh, and police are looking into the matter. And like, no, they're not. In that much chaos with that much going on, they're not looking into that great truck that just showed up to shoot some people. Like, this is like, is, is the left prepared to deal with this? They are not. And it's a huge wake-up call because violence is going to, if this keeps going, I mean, it, I, I, this could be a turning point where, and the left is just totally, they're still messing around with nonviolence, which... That's a whole nother conversation, but, you know, compulsory nonviolence in the face of something like that. Yeah, I mean, on some level, like the left, like, you know, I, I, um, I'm 1400 block. I got some gang banging in my background and um, maybe niggas need to get put on because really, I mean, what is it like? Literally, anybody can just fucking get a red bandana and a black bandana and say, hey, I'm Antifa. Anybody can just rep and flex. And it's like, but everybody isn't down. Everyone hasn't put in work and or has experience practicing or anything. It's like it might look silly when people post little videos or whatnot. And it's like, oh, look at these little 12-year-olds slap boxing in the hood. But they're getting ready <laughs> because they there's a whole conversation about microcosms of imperialism there, which is what gangbanging actually is. But yeah. we don't have that on the left. I mean, well, you've got your... um. Like your folks with your fury or like um, back uh, in the first year that I lived here in Illinois, like uh, some um, uh, this one cat that was uh, claiming Antifa rep. And I think they're down like they're they're legit, ideologically legit and actually down to go get into the shit. But I was like, hey, go ahead. Go ahead. Punch me in the cheek. Throw me one. See what happens. And it, I, I, I was not damaged by that strike that hit. And it was like. I don't know if you're really ready to be out there in the shit because you're going to get like you're you're an easy target for like one punch and you're out and they're yeah. on to the next victim because the shit is going to get warlike. It's been pretty cold warlike in general, but now we're maybe going into um a, a sort of a blend between racial and ideological hot war 
you know, because yeah. there, there's too many white comrades for it to just be racial. Like, there's too many white people that are against racism, so it's not going to be hard racial lines. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, when it comes to, like, those, you know, black block or the, you know, the Antifa people, um, which overlap to some extent, you know, and I get why they're not an organization because they want to be an anonymous kind of thing that happens in protests. We're like, that's fine, but we need organization. We need people organizing right now, the, you know, and to be able to absorb some of this and for people to keep doing more long-lasting stuff instead of skirmishes that, that go maybe nowhere, you know. I'm not, again, I don't, I do not shame anybody for, um, what they did with the riots, because I think this is squarely the reaction and how the reason why this exploded, I put that squarely on the United States. So I'm not going to go there on people. But um, but is it useful? We can talk about that to what extent, um, in my mind. But um, and uh, to me, I think this this is a flex of power that is useful, at least in this moment. I don't think continued action like this with no organization that is not necessarily useful. That's not to shame anything, but, um, but you know, I, and I don't blame you know these white anarchists that come out if they throw down and put their bodies on the line for something. That's fine, you know. And you get people who say, oh, that's that might not be who the POC leaders want, and then it's like, okay, well, who are the leaders? Is it because I don't see any of the old Black Lives Matter leaders involved and out there, and they didn't organize this. I don't know if there is no organization for this. There are people who hashtag Black Lives Matter, but that's the nature of a hashtag because people don't know what to call it. You know, it's not a negative thing. I'm just saying, like, I don't see this as, you know, Black Lives Matter is basically in some places like a nonprofit and they're, or they're supported by certain, like, you know, in Chicago, the University of Chicago. It's a think tank that came, that it's in, that is crosses over with Black Youth Project, which is monetized by the White University of Chicago. I mean, that's, that's financially, that's a fact. In, in Chicago, different branches are different across the city. I know different branches that also broke away from Black Lives Matter, like Cincinnati, apparently, because of ideological differences and wanting to be more left, things like that. There's, all, there's, there's lots of nuances to get into, but I don't see any of that organization. I mean, some of them, you'll see people who show up with their banners as an organization to some of these marches, and then they try to get them, they brought their megaphone and they want to speak, but they're not the ones that are steering this into, into curfew when a thousand people got arrested. That was no one organization in Chicago. And so why do you, you know, we can hashtag it Black Lives Matter, but is that what it is? Who's the organization? Like this is, this is why it's so easy to co-op things. And then sometimes there's so much chaos when people want more. Does that make sense? Um, you know, like what is, what organization will come out of this? I think something, I, we don't, it's too early to really tell, but you know, but that's what I mean when someone's like, oh, these white anarchists, they're doing it. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, why do you, if they, if they destroy a Starbucks, why do you care? Starbucks has insurance. Target has insurance. It's not just, and you know, if pe the people's racism to say that it's, you know, black folks just looting again or something like it's not, there's, I saw way more white people looting that target in the videos than anybody else. Like, I mean, so why we have to figure out why we value that stuff and why when real, when hardcore rebellion happens, why do we, 
want to shame people. If, if there was a clear organization that said, hey, here's a plan and we didn't approve of this, that's fine, but that's not happening. And you can't make a mirage about that happening. So, but I don't think any of those people who threw down are prepared to, again, deal with real serious violence. I like that they're willing to throw down, but they dealing with some cops that are on camera who know that they can't kill you at this point is not the same as a real riot when things just go into complete chaos and people do get approval. They haven't dealt with that, you know, um, or vigilantes. Like now we're seeing the vigilantes. So, um, come out of the, come out of their mountaintop little weekend militia practice. They're coming into the cities and shit. So, you know, that's why self-defense is important. That's why Fury does what we do. I mean, we do it for women, deserve it in general, but we are not, we have a sense of the long-term issue of this country not getting better. And we want people, we do want people to be able to protect themselves because we are not the, the type of folks who think the government will protect us. We feel like outsiders. And the left has to wake up to themselves being outsiders in this system. The American left still feels cushioned by their Americanness, even if they're Marxists or whatever. So we, that's why we take more on the ground stuff very serious at Fury and our self-defense. And we can't wait to get our self-defense training started when the virus isn't, you know, a, a safety concern anymore. But, um, I said the American left and their Americanness. And, and this is why after over a thousand episodes, we are still an incredibly small time podcast because we have no patriotism. You go and turn on most other programs that are lefty, you know, and and this is no diss, right? But you go to you go to a Lee camp, you go to a Chenk Unger who thinks that the age of consent should be 14. This isn't a diss, that's just something he said. And yeah, you go to heads like that, you know, even Nicole Sandler, um the, all, all of the young Turks, that nice young man in Oregon, the humanist report, Mike Figueredo, you know, like they all have a patriotism. They all have an American flag behind them. They all still believe in the idea of America. And it's like, go back to the beginning and actually read the publicly available quotes, probably in your local library, from Christopher Columbus's own diary. The idea of America is shit from the start. <laughs> the whole thing is pure yeah. garbage. That's the reason why the American left is so weak in a lot of ways compared to other lefts in other in other nations, other leftist movements or organizations or political parties, whatever. Um, the American is the because the United States, they want to focus, they'll want to have their feet halfway in like Marxism, but they're benefiting so much from imperialism. So as long as that so they're going to have their feet kind of in both areas where they're like, yeah, we have these ideas. We want Marxism. We want class change, which is the very white American left that will deny race um, to their benefit. Um, deny, you know, black radicalism and all these other histories um, just for a, a raceless version of class, which is just for them, um, for a white male, the white male left with a lot of socialist organizations here. And they, you know, they'll They'll toe the line with imperialism because they benefit from it. They, they have dominance. They have cultural, economic, and political dominance to some extent because of the American empire 
over the rest of the world. So, you know, you try to talk to them. They're like, oh, yeah, we want all these things like Bernie Sanders wants, but they don't want to stop the wars. Hmm. And it's like, well, then you can't even get, you can't get anywhere. You, you can't even, you can't get your funding for health care and stuff like that when you're funding it all in wars. So you, you, this is why you shoot yourself in the foot anyway, and you're so irrelevant, you know? So... Yeah. And, you know, something else I wanted to say in the terms of how the left is unprepared for this, William, before I forget on that topic and of self-defense, um, you know, I think that's where, you know, I mean, I know the gangs are a major problem, but they're probably the only people besides the right wing that's armed right now to the teeth. So who, if things really go down and the right wing ins- keep instigating and get their race war... Who's going to have all the guns, like for the other side? I mean, it you know will this will will the gangs will the street tribes step in if they they're functioning on violence and when violence goes hot and in the streets and very in your face they're the they are the one group outside of the right wing that might be prepared for it. Who's able to talk to them? Is there any way to talk with them? Will the left consider that? <laughs> you know. I'm not saying it's a perfect scenario, but I'm saying it's reality, and the left is not functioning in reality. We need to be in reality right now. And you know what? And okay, so right, I'll, I'll jump in with this. Right, you remind me of a, an ongoing joke in our household with uh, with Phoenix Kalider and I. Is um, you know, we'll be like, oh man, what if this person was around here at this time? And whenever we mention if what if Tupac was around for this, oh, they would have had to kill him. Literally every time that you think of in America, if Tupac Shakur was there, the government would have to kill him. Because like when you yeah. mention them street niggas in the hood that are strapped up and ready to go and have practice and have been to the penitentiary, so they also have practice in hand-to-hand combat yeah. as well as weapons training, who were they ready to listen to? Tupac. Who was making an album called One Nation to end um, East-West Beef? Tupac. Who was a young, pretty, cute, beautiful socialist with abs? Tupac. So you would have had to, they, the government would have had to kill him at any point in time. But like, as far as like actually reaching these street niggas in the hood, you really can. They are accessible now. And the first avenue that brought us to, that brought them to us was gangster rap. And they were ready for a dialogue. Like rap, the word literally is conversation. You know, and Snoop Dogg has said that multiple times, like the preachers and teachers can come talk to me and suggest what they would like for me to put in my record and I'll put it in there, you know, um, but like now and some folks are going to be mad at this comment, but fucking Vlad TV on the YouTube, Vlad TV has done the finest crip hop journalism that I've seen since I've been a hip hop head and guys like Trey D from um, Long Beach Insane 30s, they are accessible. A uh, guy like Pac-Man the Gunman of, um, of uh, Jesus Christ, rolling 60s Crips, that's an accessible person. You can, you can get to that person, and they can get back to the hood. And these are guys with long notoriety. Trey D is over 50 years old. He is a triple OG Crip a lot of time in the penitentiary and you can talk to him and he can talk to the streets. Trey D will talk to you. Uh, Sebo, his name is Sean Thomas of Sacramento, California, Garden Block Crips. A lot of notoriety. Another guy that's um, 
if he's not already like in his late 40s. These guys are pushing 50. These are OGs with a lot of strikes and they are accessible. And you and all we got to do is go talk to them, bring them these leftist ideals. They will check it out. You know, um, because anytime I talk to anybody from the hood, like, um, uh, I just keep it casual. It's real simple. Like if I'm in the factory and, you know, uh, they, they bring in the workaday temps from the hood, they make them wear a different color hairnet. So I already know who to look for because they've already put us in a caste system by what color hairnet we have on. And so I just walk up and, you know, nothing's running right now. And I just point over like, Hey brother, check this out. You see that machine over there? That machine folds those boxes and puts the glue in them and puts the box on the line so we can put the product in it. But before that box was there, somebody could stand there and get eleven fifty an hour making those boxes. And so they just brought in that machine to get rid of that job and they didn't create another job in here to uh to 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 help that person. But since the company is making all that money, they should be paying somebody because now that person's out of work. That ain't right, is it? And they're like, nah, that ain't right, brother. Like, you can you can always talk populism and anti-capitalism if you just go to the hood and talk to them. But those OGs, especially the OGs that rapped in the 90s, they're a, yeah. a, a good leadership that you can go to. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we underestimate that. The left wants all this glory and stuff and making careers out of it. And this is why we need... People who say, no, what we're going to do is we're going to talk to folks, you know, we're going to go into the neighborhoods, we're going to talk to people on a down, on a, you know, a a basic level in our community and build community instead of careers out of what we're doing. I'm not knocking anybody for their careers, you know, but, but that can't, that can't come in the way of the work that actually needs to be done. So talking to the people that are most impacted by this and not sitting at universities and handing out pamphlets to white middle-class students to recruit them into socialism because that's cushy and acceptable and popular by these organizations. Like we're talking about really talking, getting on people's level where they're at the most oppressed people. So, you know, and rebuilding social ties where it's been so destroyed in the United States now. So, you know, I, you know, maybe you can be with some of those folks if you got connections to some of those people, you know, to some of these people you're talking about to to talk about doing something. And, you know, when he talked about Tupac, you know, I know he so he had a 10 point program that I think he adapted from the Black Panthers that was for uniting. The, that was for uniting the gangs. It was a 10 point plan on unity with the gangs before he was killed. And it's like. You know, that's real work. And that's why he was so popular. He was, you know, he wasn't messing around um, in terms of being a leader so separated from his community. He was always there in it, you know, and that's what we, we need to be doing that. We need to be in it and we need to be real about this stuff. And, you know, why can't we bring it back to Pac's 10 point, you know, unity program that he never had a chance to implement? Ah, we should we should look we should look that up. That could be the next episode. Tupac's yeah. ten point unity program. I think that's I think it was ten points. It's on the internet. Yeah. Yeah, and then um didn't Colin Kaepernick have like a camp or something for youth and had a, a ten point program as well? Yeah, I know less about that. I know he was doing trainings, like know your rights trainings. 
a donation for suits and professional clothes and things like that for folks. But, um, but I don't know the full extent. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I was talking to Phoenix about this. Um, cause you know, you, you post the hot takes so that people will come back and read when you post something long form, right? Keep the content flowing. And um, a hot take that I was like, I'm not going to post this, but I kind of want to because it'll come across condescending. But like put up like a screenshot of someone saying, oh, look, Kaepernick sold out with taking the endorsement deal with Nike. But now Kaepernick is paying for folks bail while people are getting arrested right now. And I kind of want to be like, well, thank goodness he took that Nike money to pay these bails. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's tough because... People expect that to be sell-out moves, but if people keep proving themselves like Kaepernick, then, and you know, they prove themselves and people can trust them, you know? Yeah. So he, he did a move where he signed with Nike. People were suspicious, but he keeps doing the right thing. So people say, you know what? No, he is. He's not leaving. He's, you know, he's in it. He makes power moves, but he isn't Jay-Z. He's not coming in to turn, to, to turn the movement on its head, you know? Oh, Where yeah. is Jay Z, by the way? Where is... What's Jay Z? All these silent, these silent celebrity representatives, the head of Nike, who said that the, you know, the kneeling's over, or whatever he said, huh? Yeah, old hove, and, and you know, I, 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 wait again. How you're, you're still in your twenties, right? Yes. Okay. What? Yeah. What year were you born? I was born nineteen ninety two. Damn. Okay. Yeah, because these albums are from nineteen ninety six and nineteen ninety seven. A trust, take it from me, right? I'm a cis hetero male. I know what I'm talking about, right? The um, fucking um, you'll probably see because again, I know that you're 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 a friend of the Negroes. I know you see some of our public conversations, and you may see in the past couple years talking about how um, Jay Z is talking about how to get your wealth on and get rich, and that's positive and that's a good thing. And it's like Jay Z has been doing that his entire career. But when you pay attention to how he's doing it his entire career, I strongly suggest folks go back and play. And I consider them classic albums. Lyrically, they're nice. The beats are dope. It's They're dope albums. But his first two albums, are they unfold like the, um, the manifesto of a sociopath. Like, it's like, yeah, there's honest art and whatnot in there. But he is talking about literally everything that he's doing now. He openly, publicly planned on doing that then, while also telling you that he shot his brother because he embarrassed him, which is a true story. And it's like, yeah, he's been that capitalist, wacky bastard this entire time, really. Wow, yeah. So, I mean, in that kind of context, why why do we get surprised when people get selected like that to... You know, when you get white billionaires who run the NFL and stuff finally get in trouble for their racism and exploitation in their, you know, in their, you know, their sports league and people start stirring things up like Kaepernick, you know, they got to find somebody to bring it in and say, get rid of the, you know, get rid of the the rebellion, get rid of the, uh, you know, stamp this out. And they bring in Jay-Z to say, hey, stamp it out. We'll, We'll make you a billionaire. Yeah, because if you think about Jay Z, is the the personification of cool. He was the first rapper to have a really major, legitimate clothing line. You know, he um he has that hypnotic drink you can still go buy in stores and drink like Jay Z. 
And uh, he's, oh, he's making moves with uh, moving the New Jersey Nets to Brooklyn. Now they're the Brooklyn Nets, right? Obama, when he was campaigning, he was at a school in, um, in North Carolina. And um, Jay-Z had a record out called Get That Dirt Off Your Shoulder. And it was a hit single. And a hit single with which where, just to slide into the feminism for a second, he presented Beyonce as the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain and had a shot of her blurred out, but just her body wiggling with the chain on. All right. So and then now back to this. Uh, Obama is um, is speaking to this uh, predominantly uh, black filled uh, auditorium. And he says, yeah, people out there say stuff about you and make a lot of lies up about you. But sometimes you just gotta. And when he said gotta, he kind of brushed his shoulder like Jay-Z, you know, it's like, yeah, Jay-Z has been used for the corniness and uh, the pacification, rhetorical pacification of uh, black crowds for some time now. You know, this uprising, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. This isn't the, the full quote. I was actually looking for the quote the other day, and I was like, which book was this in from Cabral? Emilcar Cabral, revolutionary, um, African revolutionary. He said, so it was a, it's a, the idea is along the lines of the revolution will cut like a sieve, or it will it'll sort you and separate you. And, and the idea is that when, if a revolution cuts like a sieve, it catches what doesn't come through, and it passes through something different, like a sieve would, or if you're, you know, panning for gold or something. Um, the idea of being when things heat up and revolution builds, it, it proves people, proves them and their moral and political bankruptcy. It, it pulls them out in the open and separates them, or it makes people stand up and, and walk into their power and take their power and say, and join the revolution. Basically it, it cuts people in two different directions. So you know, I'm not saying that these uprisings are a revolution because that's, you know, again, that's some something somebody asked me the other day. I don't think it's not a revolution until you have an organization that says we want a revolution, meaning we don't just want to burn stuff down. We want to build something different. We are determined to not we're not asking for one change or a reform necessarily. We want an entirely different system and we will do what it takes to do that. That's a revolutionary building. But when you see moments like this, that, that kind of, they, they're transgressions. This is transgressive. It wasn't approved. It's not supposed to happen. The system does not approve <laughs> it at all. That's, that's, it opens up new possibilities that could move in that direction, I think. And so it could, you know, it could cut like a seed. You know, maybe things get more obvious. Maybe Jay-Z really doesn't support folks and it becomes really clear. Maybe, you know, maybe Kaepernick becomes a bigger leader. I'm just, you know, I'm just throwing stuff out here since we're on that topic. But yeah. it, it makes people prove themselves in moments when people turn up the heat. It makes people, they got to keep up. I guess I just, um, well, another thought on Jay-Z again. They used him again in 2012 when he was running against Mitt Romney. They came out on stage for him. And then they used him again for Hillary Clinton in 2016 and something that stands out, right? Like just, it's, it's not the whole boot, right? Like it's just like a li like a tiny bit of the tread, right? Is what he was going for. Because when he endorsed Hillary Clinton on stage, he said with Donald Trump, I don't wish no ill will towards that man. I just don't like the direction he's trying to take us in. <laughs> it's like, that. that's your soft... Pitch, that's it. Come on. 
But yeah, Jay Z's supposed to be the the NFL revolutionary, I guess. He's not supposed to talk ill or anything too tough on the whole establishment, right? But what will he say about his own people? Well, I mean, especially when um on his black album, he's recorded and archived saying, "I'm at the Trump International. Ask for me." So, I mean, how how can you wish ill will to the person that temporarily houses you on vacation that you give money to? Like that Trump Donald, that that necktie Donald Trump has on, you could thank Jay-Z for paying for it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, and I always say, like, people have no, I'm not saying not to, not to oppose Trump, but I'm kind of on the, the train like Cornel West that you were talking about. People criticize him for not, complaining about Trump enough because it's not really about Trump and he is the president. I'm not going to say don't criticize the president, but you need to criticize all these presidents. And it's a, it is a distinctive problem when this movement tries to scapegoat everything on Trump because they're taking it off of themselves and how they're complicit in so much that brought us to this moment. And they don't want to deal with how they are complicit and have built this. And that's the problem. And that's again, why I don't really criticize Trump. I just don't. Every time Trump passes something through Congress. It's like, okay, yeah, well, how many Democrats stood up to it? You need to be dealing with that. So, not you, I'm saying, you know, in general. So, um, people. So, um, you know, and I always, it's always ironic to me. Like, I've been saying this is like season number 16 of The Apprentice. Like, we were all laughing when he was a reality TV star in the early 2000s and watching that stuff. I watched that when I was a kid in my house my family and then everyone's like surprised that this is what america is and i don't know how i'm not surprised that the more we act surprised and don't deal with it the more we're gonna have to deal with this it's that's the irony and i think the acting surprised is sort of the ongoing lie right because it, it's it really is built on that because going back to um like Christopher Columbus's diary and this is why our programmings have um have trigger warnings because like Christopher Columbus was telling a story about um about an indigenous woman that he was raping and he was saying that at first she didn't want to but he beat her until she gave in and be and bega- and began to act like his personal whore uh, quote verbatim from uh, from Christopher Columbus's own diary, but you know that that is not taught. Like, don't talk about that. Or um, when you see um, how minstrelsy, how blackface came about, and it was when people, white people from outside of America, were going to the South and seeing how they were treating the plantation chattel, and they were like, "Holy shit, what the fuck is wrong with you people?" And um, so they make the minstrel shows to make jokes out of the Negro and make propaganda about us and just lie about what they're doing right there on the spot. And the lies never stop to a point of where you can look here on the Twitter and see Martin Luther King Jr. The third, right? Martin Luther King Jr. Son literally tweets right there publicly for everyone to see. As my father explained during his lifetime, a riot is the language of the unheard. And right there on the spot, white person jumps in. Uh, Ray, your father was a brilliant man, but he wouldn't condone riots. He thought there was a better way to deal with the issues. Another white person hops in. I highly doubt your father would approve of the burning and looting of cities in your own community. Violence is not what he stood for. 
another white person. He acknowledged that, but that's not how he acted, and that's certainly not how he succeeded. Like, they'll just lie right on the spot, reframe that narrative, and teach that to the next crop of children coming up, which makes me think of the textbooks coming out of Texas that we and another program called Cognitive Dissonance were reporting on, where they were rewriting slavery as um as migrant workers. <laughs> and those textbooks are out in schools now. Public elementary schools across America have textbooks saying that chattel slaves were migrant workers. And so now in 15 years, we're all going to act surprised when a bunch of people in their early 20s think that there was no slavery yeah i mean that's the role that's the role of history and how it gets twisted that is so important um i mean to control and who controls that narrative wow yeah i mean yeah right it, it, it reminds it, me you know i think that's that's a really some great commentary you have there william about the white pathology to to fully believe and embody this sense of that they they control and have full right to control what black people do. And that they they can assume what, you know, they fully, completely think that they are in the moral right to assume what George Floyd would have wanted, and they have no fucking idea. <laughs> they think, and I mean, it comes out with Biden. I mean, Biden just blatantly saying that wasn't an accident, like, just pulling out, you know, you're not black if you don't, if you, if you are not on board with him, you know, you're not black unless you, if you have any, any questioning between who to vote for. And that's just a total white psychology of, no, you do exactly what I want and this is what I'm saying and this is how reality is. They just think, they just think that it, it works that way. Well, you know, who's going to make sure it doesn't work that way? That's, that's, that's the, that is what's happening now in my mind, but. Yeah. And then people say like, oh, uh, uh, now just kind of thinking, um, Tara Reid for this one, because they're like, oh, the Obama administration, you know, the Obama campaign, they, they would have vetted him and that would have came up if that was true. Right. When they made him the vice president or it's like, what if that came up and living in a world that's patriarchal and has rape culture in it, that that's probably just not a big deal. Is right, like they make it seem like Obama is me. That's the thing, Obama's not me. I have no connection to this nigga at all, right? Like his biological father is from Africa, so he has no connection to chattel slavery. There's a reason his last name is Hussein, and my last name <clears throat> was Washington and is now Jackson. <laughs> like, I'm literally two plantation names, and he was raised by a white woman from Missouri in hawaii like i don't know that nigga like obama and i are not the same guy because we both have wide nostrils he's not a representative of mine and then him having joe biden it's like well obama was the deporter in chief kept guantanamo bay open uh ramped up the drone bombings from the bush administration and um he supported the blue lives matter bill in texas that made killing a cop a hate crime it's like he's actually right in line with Joe Biden. They're fucking great partners in crime. Yeah, and the reason he, you know, Obama chose Biden was because he would appeal to the white centrists who no matter how no matter how much work Obama did for them, 
Some of them still wouldn't like it, the old ones especially, the liberals who just really were still not comfortable with the black president. And I'm not going to get on that because, you know, people will talk about all the time about the right wing who didn't like Obama and never accepted him. Of course not. Of course not. We know that. That doesn't excuse everything and the con that he played on people, Obama's administration. But anyway, you know, he, he went for Biden. He was, he's, you know, pretty anti-choice. He's classically... He worked with segregationists. It was a way for Obama, no matter, Obama could do all he wanted to be to appease a white centrist, but he had to get still get another white centrist just to get in. Yeah, didn't Joe Biden, he was the one with the uh, with the Hyde Amendment, right? Go, what is the Hyde? Sometimes I, I don't follow the names, but if you tell me the content of it, I'll, I'll remember. Let's see. It's the legislative provision uh, barring the use of federal funds to pay for an abortion except to save the life of the woman or if the pregnancy arises from incest or rape. And he's quoted, too, for saying you know, he doesn't necessarily believe that women have the right to you know, choose and things like that. And, you know, and people ignore people think that like, the Democrats are like pro-choice. And it's like half of them aren't. They don't give a shit. Some of them, you know, if they're in a state where they can get away with it, they, they, they keep, you know, they keep that stuff up. So, yeah, that's like, um, and, um, I think this was South Carolina where, um, 12 Democrats on the damn state legislator voted for the anti-transgender bathroom bill. It's like, is Rachel Maddow gonna, gonna spend a couple minutes on this one? Can I get it on Chris Hayes, Lawrence O'Donnell? Come on, who, who? Well, give me the black misleadership, Joanne Reed. Come on, nope, nah, yeah. not a chance. And you know, Hillary Clinton when she ran in 2016, her her VP running mate, you know, was was anti-choice. I mean, a white man who was anti-choice. So, I mean, that's and that's the same thing that Obama did, where people say, okay, we're going to play at identity politics. But we don't actually want to have an agenda or have a staff of people that are committed to the issues of that identity politics. You're not actually going to fight for women, but we want Clinton to be represented because this will get some people, this will get the, the women to vote, this will get, but we'll make a running mate to make sure that people don't think that we're actually going to stand up for women. We still got to get those voters, so we're going to put an anti-choice white man in as a as a VP. It's like the same thing that Obama did with, um, with Biden and people thought it was going to keep working. That's the thing. It only worked with, with Obama. And I, you know, this might be wishful thinking, but I think some people are waking up there from the, and into the nightmare that Obama didn't actually help people except like white middle and upper class people. That's it. I mean, he helped, you know, the gays, some. after being anti-gay until it was popular for the Democrats to be anti-gay, to yeah. be pro-gay. Um, but then again, but, you know, it, it, they, they tried this playbook. They, they, they tried the same playbook with Clinton and people didn't fucking bite it. They didn't bite it. And now Biden, which is even worse. That's the thing. So he was feeling out. Um, how do you say her name? Klobuchar. Oh, Klobuchar. I, yeah, I don't think I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but um <laughs> Because I haven't really heard too much from her until more recently. But, I mean, she she's so centrist. And she was, what, district attorney when she she turned down the opportunity to to uh, to prosecute Derek Chauvin after his many complaints in, in the police department for misconduct and all the criminal stuff he's done in the past. And she passed that up. And she did it because 
why she didn't want to upset the apple cart of white voters. So, you know, as long as Democrats are doing that, it's like all these chickens come home to roost. And Obama was the, the last the last card they tried to play like that. Didn't work with Hillary. It's not going to work with Biden. You know? Yeah. On some level, though, that's kind of like diversity, if you think about it, right? Like, like Amy Klobuchar um, having someone that she refused to prosecute coming back. That's kind of like Kamala Harris having someone that she refused to prosecute coming back and being bad PR for her. So that's kind of like you can do it if you're a woman of color and if you're white. So it's kind of like everybody can be corrupt, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's part of the, and that's a big problem we deal with in Fury is the the fake feminism. Uh, A lot of it is the Hillary Clintonites and the white women it benefits. But, you know, it extends this kind of fake mainstream corporate feminism. It's not just white women. Most of them, people who benefit or are for certain white women. Um, All that's like Clinton's base that didn't even work out in the election. So, but, you know, but you get Kamala Harris, you get Stacey Abrams, you get people who are just willing to throw away their values and what they claim the community they're representing, but not fight for the things that that community has been needing, you know, it's it's a big problem in feminism. So yeah, and I I don't know we, we don't we don't interact a great deal in the social media. You probably haven't seen me riffing about this, but this is one of those things when I've riffed about it, I mostly get laugh reacts because I think people really don't get it. I think they really buy it. But Kamala Harris is not black, <laughs> like Kamala, like she has a um a British slave name, but that comes from her white passing grandfather that was a capitalist that owned business and exploited workers in Jamaica, who was the kind of light skin where you can just choose to function as white. And then her white passing father married a woman from India. And quite frankly, I think once you've bred out that much African genealogy, you now have a non-black person and because her melanin comes from her being Indian, it's like, well, there, that's an Indian woman, or you can call her a dark-skinned white woman, but Kamala Harris is literally, seriously not black. I think it's a fair thing that we should consider in the United States about these class and racial colorism issues, too, because other nations deal with that. The United States might not have, because, you know, I mean, this is a huge topic, but geez, you know, we had the one-drop rule in American slavery in the United States, right, that other nations didn't have the same. If you go to the Caribbean or Jamaica or, you know, Haiti, you've got distinguished different classes of depending on, right, what what level of mixed you are, black and white. But the United States just claimed it doesn't matter how, you know, how light or how dark you are you're part of, you are classified as black and you will be separated from white. But it's a lot more complicated in other places. So Caribbean, especially Latin America. So, but we we don't talk about that in the United States. The colorism, what, what we could call it colorism, I guess, but that it's a much more ingrained, it's not just a social pattern, but it is a class pattern. Especially if you're talking about if someone has an immigrant status from nations that function that way, off of white passing people like in Jamaica that had a distinctive legal at many times, an actual legal distinction from other black people. Uh, We actually, uh, my biological sister and I 
we had worked at the same chain restaurant uh, briefly before we started transferring out. And uh, we actually had to fire a dude from Jamaica because he would not listen to her. She was a she was an assistant general manager, and he was like, no, you're dark-skinned, and I don't have to listen to you. <laughs> like, he's from Jamaica, and that's just how it is. If you're darker, you can't be in charge. And he was actually, like, bewildered that he got fired. It was weird to him. Uh, yeah, like, it, it gets that deep out there. Yeah, absolutely, you know. And, you know, I'm certainly not somebody to talk about who is the correct people to speak on blackness amongst black or mixed black people. But I think any of us in politics and on the left, especially this is, this is a game that the left should not be playing if they believe in justice, where they are not willing to to pressure somebody like Kamala Harris to say, where are your real alliances? And there are people out there, there are people out there who pressing, who pressured Harris and to be clear, that's probably why she, it's one of the reasons why she had trouble in the primary was because so many people were like, your record is not supporting the black community. And it's clear. So I, I totally give credit there, you know, um, on social media, the folks and the black community who did that. But I mean, people should be saying, look, I mean, is your heritage with black descendants from slavery? Has your family dealt with that? Why are you trying to represent that when maybe represent it if you actually fought for it, but nothing you've done has been involved in helping these issues at all. So why? Why should we just accept somebody on a representational basis if they haven't backed the community? I mean, I think that's totally valid. And anybody on the left needs to be talking about this because you can't do identity politics without, without class. It has to be, and you can't do class without identity politics. I mean, you know, that's the classic, you know, leftist issue, but you can't. I mean, we're, we're going to keep having the kind of Hillary Clinton type issue of representation with no substance for the communities that need it, unless we get clear and we say, no, we're not going to take this kind of shit. And we're not just going to be, you know, kind of have respectability politics about how we talk about it either. You know, I'm not trying to say the whole, um, you know, people, what's the term that the right wing uses? Um, political correctness. You know, I'm not saying not to be politically correct, but I'm kind of saying, well, we need to get beyond what the Democratic Party has approved for us and make our own community standards and boundaries and rules for what is actually going to help our people. Left, whatever, whatever our community is, whatever we decide is going to be our community, whatever we're, we're, we're actually going to build on the left that's not there yet. What, how are we going to do it? What are the rules? Okay, this is dope. I like this moment right here. So politically correct. I personally would like to be politically correct because we're mostly talking to our echo chambers anyway, which and that's because I get pedantic about it because everyone is being politically correct that chooses to be a public speaker. It just became a right wing talking point against the broad spectrum of the left. And, and again, because they're proactive and we're reactive, when really we should own that because we are politically correct. Like when I say sex workers' rights instead of prostitutes' rights, I'm being politically correct for my target audience. But I'm yeah. also 
When I talk about somebody outside Planned Parenthood harassing folks, I don't call them a pro-lifer. I call them a forced birther to be politically correct with my audience and say what I think they are, while a right-winger would say, no, they're not a forced birth, they're pro-life. And that's because they're being politically correct with their target audience, because all the political correctness is, is saying what you know will resonate with the folks that you're trying to talk to. And so, yeah, for me, I, I would be politically correct, but then also I get casual when I know it's time to get casual, because we've... I think it is useful to have the skills to talk outside of just the folks that already agree with you. Yeah. And who decides what is the politically correct term anyway? You know, and I'm not saying, you know, there's a fine line when you know, people know when something is offensive to some level, regardless of how educated they are sometimes. Some people need, maybe some people are ignorant and they need certain education, but... You know, at at a certain point, I, you know, I think that people use, people will use, this is a very liberal thing, they will use political correctness in the, to be polite in the absence of actually promoting justice or actually putting, putting forth an agenda that helps people. But if they use the correct political, correct, polite terms that have been agreed upon by like the kind of political establishment at the current year, then that kind of is like, hey, you know, nudge, nudge, I'm I'm down with this. I am morally a good person. I am okay without having to do any action to prove that they are a decent person, if that makes sense. Um, so it's not an argument against political correctness, but I do but I think, you know, it's not up to whoever has power that gets to decide that in whatever area isn't necessarily the, you know, they're not necessarily the moral angel, I oh. guess. You know. Yeah, you know what? Now thinking about that, because like you made me think black misleadership again, but we've kind of exhausted that a little bit. Like, so like you, you're um, you're you're a white woman, and a and a lefty, you know. And you're lo- like, is there white woman misleadership? And if so, who? That's a good question. I mean, I would say Hillary Clinton, (laughs) but um, that's, you know, but honestly, it's different than I think there it's worth making parallels whenever there is an oppressed, but but compromised political group um, like all of us are in the United States or we would have had a revolution by now, um, then it's worth making parallels. But. They are different, right? So I wouldn't. What happens with the black misleadership class and the black bourgeois? That's a very specific reaction and a very specific historical emergence from black oppression. That's in a much further minority in like, like population numbers, whatever. A, a, through black, through. Um, anti-blackness and, and black oppression to the, the context of slavery, everything in the United States. So white women don't, they do not have that. They don't have that level of oppression because they're white. So, you know, I look at things like there's, there's to some extent, you know, people say, Oh, don't play oppression Olympics. It's like, no, we can't because you can't say that a white woman is, as, is as, as oppressed as a black man. Now there's instances where it's flipped and cause you can always individualize things. You could talk about Jay Z 
and compare him to a poor white woman in the sticks. And I get that. That's complicated. That's it's different. But overall, you can't white women are second tier right under white men who are at the top. And then you've got and then you've got, you know, the, the different classifications and oppression of people of color down under that. So I when it comes to if you're saying there's a white misleadership class, it's not like it's there's no white women have far more access to political power in general than black people do in America. So there isn't a necessary black misleadership class of a few selected white women to represent white women because they're married to the political power. They're having children with the political power. They are reproducing white power in their families. And they have, so they, they are oppressed, but they, and this is the thing, white women will trade. They will be willing to put up with their oppression as women in order to be co-pilots and second in command next to white men. And that's the phenomenon you see with racist white women where you say, how can you stay with your white husband who beats the shit out of you? I mean, there's there's reasons that victims stay, but I'm, I'm just using this example to say because sometimes people are willing to take a certain abuse in order to keep their proximity to power. And that is white women have far more power in that way. Um, you see it in gentrification. They have, you know, in terms of who's getting high up corporate management jobs, it's not black men, maybe black women even for second there, but it's, but it's white women. It's white women who are rising next to white men. They still deal with stuff. They still don't get paid as much as white men, but they get paid far more than black men and black women. So in that way, there's no, I don't really think there is a white misleadership class because they're too close in white power still. Um, there's there's liberal white women who you know do the wrong thing like clinton like i said but you know the black misleadership class have a very small niche that they protect very tightly because it's kind of all they get in white supremacy but white women now like they're they are leading there's more white women leading the i believe it's like the board on the pentagon the, the board of directors of the Pentagon is like it's almost it's like all white women now. It's not black men doing that. It's not black women there necessarily either. You know, that's that was a white woman takeover. So I think the black misleadership class is there because they don't have their community doesn't have real access, but white women's community does because it's white community. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that. That was that shit. That was very talk fury. <laughs> Good. <laughs> glad I uh, glad I uh, talked my words here. Yeah, that shit's real dope. You have a lot. Like you sound like you have a a lot of discussions in depth. Is that like discussions are like this or a regular thing for you? Yeah, I mean we we have that's where you know our book club comes in and things like that. We we try to talk about these issues consistently so people can start to talk about things that maybe haven't been talked about. It's not, you know, it's not in the news or they're not really reading because we're not a very intellectual society. But if you can at least get people to, you know, have conversations in their community and start to put words to things that haven't been discussed on the news or whatever, or their leaders are talking about this kind of stuff, then people can start to, you know, I think it's freeing for people to be able to, um, put new words to their oppression and, and, you know, dig into it. So 
we, we, we do talk a lot in Fury. Um, whether it's our events or community events, we would do this at our general meetings when we were able to have in-person meetings with new people, hear them out, why are they interested, what are they coming in on, what's their angle. Yeah, because like you're, you're sharp, you're on point, you're on topic, right? Like me, I, I'm so used to just joking around with Phoenix and covering the news and then also, however my brain works, there I, I'm not diagnosed with anything, but I assume something's wrong because, you know, I haven't been to a doctor since 1997 because the way my capitalism is set up, I can't afford to do that. But fucking, yeah. I'm sure something's going on with my brain for the reason why I'll be like, and this is Obama with Jay-Z and you know what? Hey, the 96 Telecommunications Act. And then let me tell you something about the Fairness Doctrine and how that got repealed. And then, like, my mind is all over the place while you are lasered in there. Like, you're damn good at this. Thank you. I'm glad that, you know, I have a good space to rant when it's not the time to rant then, you know. Yeah, you can you can always yell on, on, the, on the wine cellar. Like, this is the program where we literally have an episode titled Rapists Make Great Fertilizer. So, like, th this is the program <laughs> for it. Yeah. All right. Hell, we have an hour and 47 minutes of content for me to edit down into like a 38 minute episode it'll, it'll, it definitely will come out to more than an hour this time yeah this this is funky dope and let me hit stop on the recording with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.